Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here for our final episode of our second year of podcasting on No Nonsense, because we typically take the month of June off. It is June 1st, so we'll give you a bonus episode. Now, One thing we have discussed is that if the Titans pull off a Julio Jones trade, we'll come back and we'll do an emergency podcast for that, of course. Um, But if that doesn't happen, we will see you after today in training camp. Before that, though, we've got plenty to dive into because the Titans hit the field for OTAs last week, organized team activities. I should say some of the Titans because a lot of them were not there. We're going to talk about whether that's a big deal, whether you should be concerned about the fact that a lot of Titans players have not yet reported to OTAs. On Wednesday, new Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing and defensive coordinator Shane Bowen will be addressing the media and what I have deemed as the reaming of Shane Bowen 2021. He will finally get to face the media after being hired and receiving an immense amount of backlash. We're also going to talk about Julio Jones because there has been more smoke in that department as of late, and then we will close out with Stop the Nonsense. Let me say this first about OTAs. So there weren't a whole lot of people there last week, a whole lot of starters anyway, but that appears to have changed to some degree. I I think a lot of people thought maybe some were holding out for the long weekend, and so now the Titans are posting these videos to Twitter where we have seen Jayon Brown, who was not there last week, Rashawn Evans, who was not there last week, Ryan Tannehill has uh, reported, Ben Jones is in this video I'm watching right now. So there's more, more there now than were there last week. Still not all of them. I, I don't see a number 22. I don't see a number 11. So how do we feel about the fact that At the first week of OTAs, hardly anyone was there. And then now, some are back, but it's clearly still slim pickings. I don't care in the slightest. I don't think it matters. Sure, it might help a little bit for some of these new guys that are coming in uh, and don't have a lot of familiarity with their teammates, with the practice facilities, with the coaching staff. Yeah, it might help them a little bit, but what are they really? What are they really doing? Like uh, some conditioning, maybe a couple of uh, of individual drills, some some small team activities. Like this isn't anything that's gonna be the difference between being a playoff team and missing out on the playoffs. It's really not gonna be uh, that serious, and and it's, and it's not gonna have that type of effect. Sure, you might have some you know you could build a little bit of bonding between some players particularly the new ones like i said but i just don't think it really matters but i'm also one of those guys that thinks the preseason doesn't matter either so i'm kind of just on that side of the spectrum i know will is probably going to come in and say otas are essential for team building okay so they're not no i i won't i won't say that but what i will say is Guys like Jared Pinckney, I think, is one of the big, like, I say big. When I say big, I mean, like, in the key. Uh, he's one of the key guys that wasn't there. And then there were some other guys. If you don't have a spot locked in, like, if you don't have a ton of guaranteed money this season and you're not 
and you weren't here last year, you should be at OTAs. Like, I don't care if you're a veteran. I don't care whatever. Like, Bud Dupree should be there. Danico Autry should be there. Like, all these guys who have to learn a new system. Because inevitably, when stuff goes wrong and people don't play well early in the year next year, they're going to say, oh, it's a new system. Like, they took them time to develop. This is the time. Yeah. This is the time they should be developing. Like, the rookies are all there, which, I mean... they have to be there, basically. I mean, they don't have to, but you know, like that's they, they it's crucial for them. But like Miller Forrestall and um, Briley Moore, the undrafted tight ends. I mean, they're going to take Pinkney's spot. Like, I'm shocked Pinkney's still on the roster. Like, I'm guessing it's because they couldn't just cut him for not coming to OTAs uh, initially because they're you know quote unquote voluntary. So you can't just cut Did somebody. He, not, for not he didn't go. go? Pinkney no, didn't go. He did, no, he did not go. Okay, see, so th- this is where I agree with you. A player like yeah. him who's on the roster fringe, he yes. should be there. Just yeah, to set a correct. good impression with the coaching staff at the very least. Correct. Like, if you're an older guy, or like I said, I mean, he's not older, obviously. It's just his second year in the league. But if you're one of these guys who's not a rookie and you're competing for one of these depth spots, you should be there. Like, you should be pressing the flesh. You should be trying to, like make a good impression and show them that you can learn the playbook. Because in my mind, if you don't show up and you don't immediately pick it up, then you've got a bad work ethic, right, wrong, or indifferent. If you had the opportunity to get a step ahead, everybody else, you chose to do something else. And then you come in and you can't keep up. You got to go like, you're just wasting my time. So, you know, like is our OTAs the most important thing in the world? Absolutely not. Are they key for developing chemistry with your starters? Not even really that much. But if you're not guaranteed a starting spot, if you weren't with the team last year, or if you're not somebody who, you know, if, I I don't want to say this because this kind of sets a bad precedent, but if Caleb Farley wasn't there because he chose to stay in Florida or stay uh, in Virginia and do his rehab or, or do something like that, whatever, like, okay, like, I, I do understand staying with your specific doctors and your team and all that during something like that, but he's there. But that's somebody else who would maybe have a reason to not be there. Everybody else should be there. Like, it's it's crazy to me that you wouldn't take advantage of this opportunity, especially if you're a younger guy who could take a veteran spot. Like, I mean, it, those tight ends, like I talked about, the undrafted tight ends just took a big step forward. And probably got the inside track on Pinkney going into the preseason and the offseason and all of that. So that that's what I'll say about what, how much I care about attendance and OTAs. So I'll say this. I, I think it is entirely situational. I'm not willing to blanket statement put out that you have to be there because at the end of the day, it is optional. It is not mandatory. So for the Titans' current situation, let's analyze that. The offense, I don't much care. It's the same terminology. Yes, it's a new coordinator, but they, they they cook with peanut oil. It's Ryan Tannehill. It's Derrick Henry. It's hard to screw up. Okay? The defense, I'm not going to say I'm concerned or worried. I do feel like it is a missed opportunity. I think that's the appropriate verbiage to use to describe this because this is a unit that has been totally overhauled, totally purged from their awful 2020 season, and there's a lot of new faces and a lot of new pieces And we heard these guys complain constantly last year about problems with communication. And the best way to get on the same page and learn how to communicate is to do it. And these are the settings that you start to do it in. So I am not concerned about, you know, well, they need to start getting in the groove of football again. Who cares, right? That's what training camp is for. Or they need to start, you know, getting in shape. They're professional athletes. They'll be in shape unless you're Isaiah Wilson. So... My concern is specific to this defense getting all of these new starters, these seven new starters. I'm going to name the seven new starters. Janoris Jenkins, Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, that's three. Amani Hooker, there's four. Uh, Bud Dupree, um, uh, Danico Autry, and Tier Tart. That's seven new starters that the Titans are going to have on defense. And at some point, those seven people are going to have to be on the field at the same time, getting on the same page and developing their own kind of language. 
And could that still happen in training camp? Yes. You know, this is not a you know, sound the alarms panic moment. But I think this is a good opportunity for that to begin happening, and I think it is a missed opportunity uh, per the fact that all of these Titans have not shown up yet. That's fair, and I don't disagree. I do think it's important for new players, like I said before, uh, to get in there if they can and start building bonds and start building chemistry uh, with their new teammates and with with their new coaching staff. So uh, I do agree on that. I, I don't know which of the new players hasn't been there. I can't, so I can't comment on which ones, but... Yeah, it, it could it could be important, but I don't know. Like I said before, if it'll be the difference between uh, winning and losing games necessarily. Yeah, like I, I think I think we're all pretty much on the same page here, especially like you said, Luke, about how one of the big problems last year in this same Shane Bowen defense was how, how important communication was and how much the missing of training camp and OTAs really hurt the development of the defense. Like when it's singled out as basically the single biggest reason that the defense didn't work last year. And then you don't have guys taking advantage of these opportunities this year. I I, I don't like it. Speaking of Shane Bowen, get to have a nice little zoom chat with him on Wednesday. The new Titans defensive coordinator set to have his first press conference since being demoted, excuse me, promoted from outside linebackers coach. Will, you wrote an article today about uh, what, what question you think Shane Bowen should be asked. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, so I basically tried to, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know I have a thousand questions for Shane Bowen, and I would have loved to have just 30 minutes to sit and talk to him about it. But I think if there's one question that he should realistically be expected to answer, it's the mantra of your defense. You know, we know we've seen for what, two years now, what Mike Vrabel's version of this defense is. It's that three defensive linemen, soft coverage, scared to death, please drop the ball defense. Now, maybe that's what Shane Bowen likes too, and that would explain why Mike Vrabel keeps him around. But I think the question has to be asked to him because reporters and fans need to have an expectation based on what he says. That There's been so much murky water here with the defensive coordinator position for the last two years that everybody really involved deserves a clear answer on what this defense should look like. Is it going to be aggressive? Is it going to be ultra conservative? The one thing you can accept is that stupid catchphrase that they all say, which is multiple and versatile. And, you know, you want to have front multiplicity and all that stuff. Every team in the NFL has front multiplicity. There's no team in the NFL that runs the same 11 guys on the field all the time. So that, I think, is one thing that should be pretty simple to answer. Yeah, I, what I'm most interested so there's two things I'm interested in. One, I want to know what his relationship is with Jim Schwartz and what his impression is for what Jim Schwartz is. And, and he may just give, you know, well, Jim Schwartz's role is to help us win football games, which is what Mike Vrabel so graciously gave us uh, when they hired Jim Schwartz. Uh, I'm also interested in, and I don't know that he's, I don't think he is the kind of person to do this, but in a way, I want him to sell himself to the fans because Vrabel didn't really. We didn't really hear, you know, well, Shane did. Here's what I want. I want to know what he did well last year because I'm sure there were things, right? The, the product was bad, and, and, and it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, the defense was bad, therefore Bowen was bad. And I think that's probably right to most extents. However, I'm sure there are things that he does well as a coach that we just don't see. And I want to know what those are. Like, give me something. Tell me what this guy does, what he did to – let's stop talking about it as a promotion, to keep his job, right? What did he do? I, I, I do want to talk about it in a promotion sense, actually. What did he do to get a promotion? What, what did you see from him 
Mike Vrabel, but th- but but this isn't. A, I'm talking in circles, right? This isn't a Mike Vrabel. Really, what I'm sitting here saying is this should have been answered months ago by Mike Vrabel. I want I want to know what he does well. Like, what are his strengths? Why do you think you're the man for this job? So you essentially want to give him a job interview, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and I think that's. I think it's fair to question him about that and ask him about his strengths. Uh, but I want to know about his weaknesses. I want him. I honestly, I want him to come out and admit that he did a bad job last year and oh, why it happened. I, I, I don't know about that. I don't know that's going to happen. I mean, if you don't have accountability in any job, then what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't even be where you are. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, I would like for him to come out and say, we w- we didn't do what we were supposed to do last year. A lot of that is on me. Uh, this is why it went wrong, and this is why it's going to be better. I know. Yeah. I'm asking for a ton. Well, it's never going to happen, but, but, but to, I would love to hear it. To bring this back, though, to just sort of generally – that shouldn't be asking too much. And quite frankly, I think it could happen because it's not Vrabel. Vrabel would never do that. But you're not losing anything, right? I understand, you know, when they don't want to talk about injuries or scheme and all of that because they want to, you know, protect their players and protect the team. But I have no problem with, like, that should be said. It wasn't good last year. I was a reason behind that. But we have a plan in place to make sure that doesn't happen again. And I think I'm the man for the job. And here's why. And here's what we're going to do. I don't think that should be too much to ask. It probably it is. is. Well, no. I mean, it really isn't. But I, I, I they're going to so quickly fall back into that. I mean, think about when Vrabel was, was drafting players. Like, not drafting players, but when he was in the room and players were drafted and they made those phone calls. His first, one of the first things he said to his players is, hey, remember, it's all about the team. It's not about you. you talk to the media. Yeah, like, this, Shane Bowen has been riding Vrabel's coattails for, what, half a decade now? He's going to know the company line. So any chance you give him to say, oh, we got to coach better, got to play better. Like, it's going to come out of him before he can think. It's just, it's muscle memory at this point. So you really have to be creative in the question you ask. Like, that's why I thought the mantra question is good because you can't say, well, I'm going to try to coach better and play. Like, you can't say that about to that question. So I think one of the, uh, one of the other things, and this is almost what I asked, is why did every player on defense have a, a regression statistically from where they were under Dean Pease? Like, I, I, I think the – I guess the easy catch-all answer is we, you know, we just didn't play well enough as a team. But there should be some sort of repercussion that he has to face for taking Kevin Byard and completely ruining him. Like maybe he rebounds this year, but 2020 Kevin Byard is the easily the worst ver- worse than the rookie Kevin. I mean, the worst version of Kevin Byard we've seen. And you know, you can say the same thing with Sean Evans. You know, just by the grace of Harold Landry and Jeffrey Simmons' work ethic and how close they were to the line of scrimmage, they didn't mess up because they weren't in the space as much. But there has to be in, like I said, or like y'all said, I don't know that he'll readily give any real answers before just saying that general like, oh, it was the team. Now we're going to do better this year. But he should have to answer for that. Like that that is a serious. I mean. I, I don't want to say this because I don't want to like jinx anybody, but let's say Corey Davis was still on the team. If Corey Davis had 10 receiving yards this year, somebody should have to answer for why he wasn't as productive. But see, this is the problem is, is we have a good press corps in Tennessee. And the reason I say that is because whenever I listen to other teams' press conferences, it's sometimes unbearable. Uh, good questions get asked in these press conferences, and we're holding up our end of the bargain. Like you're saying they should have to answer for that. Those questions are getting thrown at them. And sometimes they step up to the plate, and sometimes they just throw cliches at us. Yeah, it's not your fault. Like, I mean, it's, it's again, like, it's to the point where through – I think Peyton Manning was one of the first guys to do it, but these same generic answers you give over and over to any question, like, that's become a problem, and they've made press conferences almost irrelevant – and 
it now it's it's been put on the reporter to find a way to trick the the coach or yeah. know, whoever in into answering honestly and it shouldn't have to be that yeah I, that's I mean, funny because i found myself entering variable press conferences and the occasional Tannehill one feeling like i have to play word games to get the answer i'm looking for how many times did Shane Bone speak to the media last year? Post game, co- never post game. Coordinators speak every week in the NFL, and t- Bowen did it on Thursdays. So every Thursday during the season. So we essentially like got the answer that he wasn't the defensive coordinator in title because they were pretty much protecting him because they probably knew that he if he was going to get grilled post game in these interviews. Well, he probably would have failed cor- spectacularly. So, so coordinators don't talk post game. Um, th- okay. That's a that's standard around the league. But here's the interesting thing about this that was always interesting to me. So the, the rule states um, a team's offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinators must address the media once per week um, for at least I think it says at least ten minutes. And then it says if a team does not have a traditional person or if a team does not have someone assigned to that traditional role, then they must make another coach available in lieu of that. And so Shane Bowen was sort of the like other coach in lieu of the defensive coordinator. But like we all knew it was up. Like I think Vrabel thought we were like stupid and couldn't see what was happening. Uh but I don't, I don't understand Vrabel's thought process in this whole like because I don't get it if, if you re, if you remember how it went down at first it seemed like this was Vrabel trying to do his buddy a favor he didn't get a full off season so he was basically saying like you know I'll take the bullets for you in this first year blah 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 and then in the pre, in the postseason press conference I, he didn't throw the defensive coordinator under the bus but. He basically was like, and I can't remember the exact quote, which is why I can't be as specific, but it was something to the effect of, well, it would have really helped if there was clarity and like, you know, we had to deal with so many questions on who did what. And I'm like, that's your job. Like what? I I don't understand where he's coming from. He's like, oh, I didn't think this was going to be a thing, but I guess I have to say it, you know, like Shane Bowen was calling our defensive plays. And I'm like, yeah, that was weird. If you ask somebody a question for, 25 straight weeks and they and they answer it in a nondescript way every time you don't have the right at the end of the season to say i don't i didn't know this was going to be such a big deal yeah it was a a big it was a big deal because vrabel was coy we didn't know who was calling the defensive plays until week two because i remember it was the thursday after that denver monday night game when either vrabel or bowen one of the two finally admitted that bowen was the one calling the plays the worst well at, at least at least there's clarity now right although i would go so far as to say as i'm not totally sure about that because in one of the videos the times posted today uh jim schwartz is on the field uh with like a, a note in hand writing something down i'm gonna be honest like that's more hands-on than i would have even expected because it was pretty much sad that he would be like a kind of like a consultant you know and we don't really know what they do but if Jim Schwartz is out there on the field talking to these players like constantly, at least in practices, uh, and getting a lot of his X's and O's across, how he's going to be the defensive coordinator, right? Like that's that's how I feel at least. So uh, let me let me give my opinion on this first. It looked like what he had in his hand was like a game a day script like for practice. So it was like at. 12.15, we're doing stretches. 12.20, they're going to blow the horn, and we're going to go to individual period. Like, that kind of thing. Now, what that tells me is that he needs to know that, and that he's traveling with a specific group, probably linebackers, because it was in that video with Evans and Jayon Brown. So he's probably doing some hands-on evaluation, especially the middle linebackers, because that's his area of expertise. Now, I don't know what that means but it means enough that they value his input at that position and they want him to look there which is important uh, you know and who again this is why it's so important to get Shane Bowen's mantra because who knows what Shane Bowen wants to do and how much he's going to be influenced by Jim Schwartz 
But if it looks substantially different than the defense has either in Houston or in Tennessee the past two years when they've used that that front we've talked about and they use a more traditional 4-2, 4-3 front, then you know that you know Jim Schwartz has at least a mildly significant amount of, of sway with the defensive play calling. What do y'all think about this? Uh, I've been sitting in as interim host, co-host on the Tighten Up podcast, and last week we had Teron Davenport on. And, and he made a really interesting point that I think there's some credence to. Because he was talking about how you know he wasn't really a fan of them bringing Bowen back, but the one thing that not enough people were talking about is this. Last year, Bowen was the outside linebackers coach, meaning that during practice, he only worked with the outside linebackers. Whereas now, he's moving from to every position, and he's talking to more guys. And, and while being the outside linebackers coach doesn't mean he didn't know the other players, you're not developing that hands-on relationship with the entire defense, and instead you're just going off of your meetings that you have with the OLBs. So now Bowen is, you know, we saw it at rookie minicamp. I assume those who were, who were at OTAs last week, I was not, saw it. He's moving around to all the positions. I don't know how much that matters, but I do think there is something to be said about that. I did not know that, and that is a good tidbit, and it makes me not give Shane Bowen the benefit of the doubt, but maybe – makes me not be so harsh on him for his performance last season. I mean, he was doing two jobs. Yeah, that that's not the right way to, to go about things. Like, I, I think Mike Rabel just completely botched that entire situation. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. With no. Bowen. I don't know if he's going to be. But, yeah, I know. That's a, I really went out on a limb there. But, my God, uh, he just he, he blew that situation. I hope. I hope they can get it corrected, and I do think uh, it'll be better for Bowen to to get more hands-on time with with the entire defensive group. I thought that's what was happening last year until until you just dropped that bomb on us uh, today. So that's really interesting. But the the caveat is that the outside linebackers were were bad last year, so it, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's not, the, maybe it's not well, even a good so thing. I don't, I don't know the fact it. that, you know, Tazar Skipper didn't get any sacks is really Shane Bowen's fault. Well, I will say that the fact that Harold Landry, Jadavian Clowney, and Vic Beasley all had probably the, the, worst, the worst years of their, of their careers. careers. <laughs> it, like, that's, that's a bad mark. Like, because he's lost his excuse of oh, he was trying to focus on too many things. It's like, no, you just didn't do your job again. Like, you've not been doing your job for your entire career. Like, I, I don't I don't understand that. Like, does that give me more confidence that the defense will be better as a whole this year? I mean, I guess. Like, I mean, knock on wood, it can't be worse. But... I mean, that's like asking, let's like, okay, do you like the fact that the driver of this car now knows where the brake is? It's like, yeah, I wish they would really have understood the whole job when they started, but I guess now that they realize they have to also talk to the corners and safeties and linebackers, but I I don't, I mean, I will forever be a Shane Bowen skeptic. And I was, I was a Keith Carter skeptic. Like I, I have. I have not liked position coaches in the past who've either proven me right or proven me wrong, and I'll admit when that happens. But uh, until we see something that resembles an NFL defense, uh, I'm, I'm not giving him any extra credit. How many position coaches have we actually liked? Jim Washburn is like oh, the only I, one no. ever. Keith Carter. <laughs> I like, I, yeah, I like the defensive line coach now. I like Tyron McKenzie when he was Keith, here and Kerry Keith, Coombs. Keith like, Carter's really turned it around. Yeah, Keith Carter's done great. Like, great coach. Yeah, like I said, uh, now if for whatever reason, maybe that had to do with just getting rid of Jamil Douglas, but like that was his Achilles heel. But I mean, you think about like who's our defensive line coach? Why can I not think of his name? William uh, Terrell Williams, right? Yes, yeah. He, I, I think he's done a really good job with the interior. I think that, uh, like I said, Tyron McKenzie did great. Kerry Coombs did great. Like, th- there's plenty of position coaches that we've uh, uh rob moore does great jobs with with wide receivers like you know yeah. we've had we have good position coaches which is why it's so baffling that one 
I mean, I don't know if Mike Vrabel's just too close to the situation or what, but like the one he's staring right at all the time, who's just doing D minus F level work, he just <laughs> doesn't seem to want to fire him. It's crazy to me. It's his weakness. It's so weird. D minus F it. level work. That's a money quote right there. Uh, we haven't even talked about Todd Downing. He's also talking to the media on Wednesday. Like, seriously, so I didn't really know what I was going to ask. And since we've sat down, I've written six questions on a legal pad that I have for tomorrow. I won't, ask, I won't get to ask all six. Hopefully other people will ask some of these. But, you know, a lot of the ones we talked about. And I also thought of, I want to ask him about Rashawn Evans and sort of ask him what went wrong there. But to, go ahead, Will. To Downey? No, to, to Bowen. Oh. It, it, honestly, you'll probably get a more straightforward answer from uh, Downing. <laughs> so from too, Bowen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, let, you know, asking him what happened with all those guys, it, you know, Byer. not even Clowney, but like if you're like, if you threw Clowney's name in there, if you were like, you had, I mean, you obviously, again, you can't say this because it's too easy to deflect and, you know, shy away from. And I don't even talk about the guys that are here, but he should have to answer for the fact that. Jadavian Clowney, he basically made Vic Beasley like mini retired. Well, I mean, he, he's already answered for Beasley and Clowney months ago. Yeah, I mean, still, I, I I feel like he should have to answer for it for as long as I had to watch it. So that's like eight <laughs> weeks of Jonathan Joseph. It's like he owes he owes Jonathan Joseph was not his fault. Like I'm all for throwing stones at Bowen. That was not his fault. I, that I mean, that I, was I, that one was squarely on the head coach. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I I guess <laughs> I guess that's another interesting question: is who control who decides the personnel that goes on the field? Because in theory, it would be Shane Bowen. But yeah, that has to I, be the coordinator. But I don't know that it necessarily is. Like, I mean, we, if we're talking about Jonathan Joseph being a Vrabel guy. Like, I mean, there's been plenty of times where we've seen Vrabel guys get on the field. Like, Matt Dickerson got on the field a lot. Like, Jameel Douglas gets on the field. Like, are those guys that Mike Vrabel's, like, constantly pushing, you know, give this guy a shot, give this guy a shot? Like, I, I don't know how you would answer that, ask that other than, you know, who decides what personnel is in what groupings? Like, is the, the defensive coordinator's job to – say, I want these 11 guys doing this job, or I want these guys doing this job, and you, Coach Frable, plug in what guys you want at those positions. Yeah, I don't uh, know. There, there was some other stuff going on with Jonathan Joseph, too, um, beyond the slow and old that we could see on the field. Um, yeah. What about Todd Downing, though? Any? I can't think of any really – well, questions Todd Downing, like there's there's a bunch of interesting questions. I'll start with saying, where do you see Ferks are primarily lining up? Yeah, like, that's a good. Well, maybe, he's not going to answer that, but well, maybe he doesn't. But you could say, you know, last year, the way you, you the way Arthur Smith used Je, uh, Jeff Swaim and Ferkser was Jeff Swaim was predominantly in line blocking, and Ferkser was was lined up in the slot, or you know detached from the formation is that something that you can see going forward or is that something that you would like to change yeah i i, I yeah like you said he's not going to answer but i would like to know how they're going to replace Janu and whether they think uh Ferkshire is a direct one-to-one replacement or if they're going to kind of change the offense a little bit but like you said he's he can't answer that so we'll see yeah, you could also. Ask, I mean, there there uh, are ways to ask those questions to get some information, right? In worst case scenario, you just make him give you the make him give you that canned answer. Like you can always ask, and you know you want to be careful with how you use the few questions you have. But if it's a question that needs to be answered like that, you can ask, and then like I said, force him to give you what you think you're going to get, and maybe you'll be surprised. Yeah, but uh, something else that is. I don't know, mildly interesting is the usage of Derrick Henry and how, you know, he was used all the time last year, but then immediately pulled off the field on third downs. 
do they want to use more of a hybrid backfield where it's not so predictable or are they going to stick with the way it was working? Because I can easily see him saying, you know, well, when you have a 2000 yard rusher, you kind of want to stick to what's working, but he may not, he may say something to the fact of, yeah, like it, it, teams could key on us pretty easily on third downs and they didn't expect us to run. And when we tried to run, we didn't have much success. So that's something we want to fix. Julio Jones, it's more than just us thinking, because last week, or maybe it was the week before, we had the argument slash discussion about, is this is there actually something to this, or is this just people connecting dots and saying, well, it would make sense if the Titans traded for him. Well, now we have that Mike Florio tweet that you know, league circles expect the Titans to get Julio Jones for a second-round draft pick. And then there was that tweet, I can't remember who it was from, which is part of the reason that I don't know that it deserves a whole lot of credence, but someone was like, well, the Titans are, are getting impatient and like that other teams are in on this and they're just going to hold fast to the offer that they've made. And some other team's name's been thrown into the hat and Josina Anderson. Look, I, I, re- I don't really know where this is going. Like there's more smoke on the fire. There's more heat. Now, I think, than there was last week, especially as far as the Titans are concerned. They're, they're, they seem to be like the only team consistently connected to this. Do we think it's going to happen, or is this just like going to let fans be disappointed in the end? I I don't know. I I, I mean, there there's that report that the Seahawks are interested. Uh, I don't know. I don't that know how that would work to me. I know they have Lockett and Metcalf. I don't, I, and they didn't. They just draft like two receivers or something like that. So I, I don't understand that. Uh, and then there's that Patriots report that they're gonna d- make the trade for a first round pick and Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle is like free agent material. I don't understand why that's even a, a part of that uh, proposed supposed trade. So I, I don't know how much credence those two reports have. I don't know. If someone's trying to drive the price up, I really don't know. But I could see—I still could see the Titans pulling this off. I don't know if John Robinson is going to get priced out, but if he could get him for a second-round pick, that would be fantastic. First-round pick for me would be a little, a little rich. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I mean, first-round picks a lot. Like it just—it all depends. I've said for a long time that the dream trade should be the Falcons trade Julio to the Titans for a first, and then they give back a second. Like it's a 20 spot move or so for the Falcons. And, you know, you get an extra first round pick. You're in no hurry to rebuild your team. Like you're going to be mildly competitive, but not great this year. You've got your two young pass catchers already, like on top of the fact that you can't afford to keep Julio, so you might as well trade him. And at least this way, you can say you got him, you traded him for a first round. Like, I, I don't know. Like, that seems like the obvious answer. And like you said, Luke, at a certain point, you can't really believe all these conflicting reports because it's so much, oh, the Falcons have a future first round pick already offered to him league sources say that nobody believes that they have a first round pick offered to them. It's just bargaining in the public forums, trying to like scare somebody into thinking that maybe they have to overpay or that maybe nobody's even considering uh, a first round pick. So the Falcons better strike with the irons hot, you know, like it's all, it's all kind of the same stuff we've seen before. And like we saw with Clowney last year, and like we've seen several other times, Vrabel's got a uh, Vrabel. Robinson's got a pretty specific price point on these guys. And he, he makes that offer and he leaves it there because he thinks it's a fair price. And he doesn't, he's not going to bid on somebody. He's going to try to give fair value or, you know, maybe he lowballs at first and then comes around. But, you know, this isn't, it's not a process where he's going to keep bidding higher and higher until they have to say no. So do I think it happens? I don't know. I mean, I think the Titans are the favorite, but when it's one against 30 other teams in the NFL, then, you know, is it, is a 30% chance the favorite? Like, because I think there's probably a 30, 40% chance that the Titans end up with Julio Jones, but uh, you know, I guess that still leaves a 60% chance that he could leave. He could end up anywhere else. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, this is interesting too. I was listening to Outkick 360 today, and they were making the point that of you know the major trades to happen in the NFL over the last five years for a first round draft pick, the oldest guy involved in one of those trades was 27. And I want to say that was maybe Frank Clark. Uh, but 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 of the players in the last five years or so that have been traded for a first-round pick or more, the oldest one was 27. And Julio's 33. Like, I don't see how, based on precedent, you could demand a first-round draft pick for him. Yeah, I, I mentioned that, I don't know if it was last week or the week before that, that I was a little surprised by the Patriots rumors because even though Bill Belichick has given up draft capital for proven players in the past, um, most notably, I think it was Brandon Cooks. Was it Cooks? I think it was Cooks. He gave up a first-round pick for him, right? Yeah, but Cooks was like 23, 24 years old, something like that. Um, And he doesn't—it just didn't seem like he would give up a first-round pick for a guy who's eight years older. Granted, Julio Jones is way better than Brandon Cooks. And he's, and he's had a more storied career. But there's definitely a, a lot more risk involved with trading for a player of his of Julio Jones' age, especially when you consider that he's had nagging injuries in the past, particularly last year with his hamstring. I, I know I mean, hamstring isn't necessarily like a chronic condition, but at some point, these guys are football players. Their bodies are going to start breaking down. And I just think a first-round pick for a player who's, in the twilight of his career, even though he can still give you, hopefully, a couple of good seasons left, uh, it's just a little too risky. Yeah, and I think, I don't think anybody in the league should expect him to be even a short-term wide receiver one. I think the ideal situation, and the situation he's been playing in the last couple of years, is as the co-wide receiver one slash wide receiver two. Like, he can still absolutely play. And when he's on the field, you can still do all the stuff you always could where you can, you know, you can hit him deep, you can hit him over the middle, you can hit him on, you know, screens that he can take. Like he does he does everything that he used to do. And I mean, maybe he's a half step slower, but really not not a significant amount. The problem is just how often he's not on the field. So you can't build a team around a guy who only plays 10 games it can only handle that kind of workload before the playoffs so it's a pretty it it, to me it seems like a pretty niche market because you've got to be a team that you think you can already go to the playoffs even if you don't have him you've got to be a team where your passing game doesn't depend on him and you've got to be a passing game where even if you give him six targets a game instead of 10 you expect him to warrant a second round pick and that's why I think the Titans should be the favorite is because they've got a system that works like that. I don't think Seattle does. I don't think that the Rams do. I, I don't, I've don't. i already spoken about how I don't think that it, it makes no sense to me on why the Patriots would make this trade at all. But, you know, like that, that won't stop a team from doing it. But logically, the best fits for, for me, for Julio, are... Tennessee and then this won't happen but just talking about theoretically is uh Green Bay or New Orleans they obviously want to do it in New Orleans it's in division they don't have the money all that kind of stuff just from a scheme fit standpoint and the same thing with the Packers is they they're too concerned about their quarterback situation to to focus on wide receiver right now but those are the three teams to me that I'm like oh yeah he'd fit great there yeah uh if Kansas City had cap space I, they would be my number one favorite, I think, um, to get him because they have a pretty clear need at receiver. Uh, they already retooled the offensive line, and, and giving Mahomes Julio Jones would be would be incredible, and they'd probably be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. But I don't know if they can pull that off given their their cap situation. So, yeah, I mean, the Titans make the most sense. I, I, I a lot of people have tweeted about. It. I think they only need to restructure. Tannehill's contract in order to make the the numbers work they have a clear need at wide receiver uh you know they've been willing to trade for players in the past I mean it, it makes the most sense the question will be whether John Robinson finds value in it and, and whether he thinks it's worth it's worth it uh or whether he gets priced out by another team that's desperate 
we'll see. I don't know. I really it could go any way, really. Uh, and I'm excited to see what happens. I feel like I'm talking myself more into not hating the receiving core, and I and I'm mad at myself for that. Like that's interesting because I was just looking at it and I hate it. I think it's pretty bad. I've said before that I think that I like this receiving core. I I don't. I think people that not not you specifically, Matias. I'm t- I'm talking about people who dismiss it because there's not enough big names. I think that they number one don't see the projection with Josh Reynolds that they should, where I wrote this big, long article about how when you look at his uh, yards per target number in uh, Los Angeles, it's the same exact number or a little bit above what Corey Davis had before the switch to Tannehill and how Jared Goff is, was a worse quarterback or similar to Marcus Mariota in, you know, passer rating and you know yards per throw like all these different metrics that basically say you're taking a 6-3 guy who had bad quarterback play and you are moving him up in a system with Tannehill in a system that facilitates running back or wide receivers and makes their lives easier it's the same thing at least on paper so I think people are just like ah he can't be a wide receiver too look at these stats and that's not really fair. And then the, after that, you can talk about Ferks as a slot receiver, and then Darrington Evans is a you know receiving threat, and then uh, Fitzpatrick is your inside outside guy, your kind of jackknife wide receiver. I, I like the receiving core, but I think it's a C plus B minus. Like I I don't think it's terrible. I also don't think it's I, I think. Uh, AJ Brown and Derrick Henry are going to define this team more than exactly. anybody else. Yeah, and that's kind of where I am. Like, I, I think if you stop spreading the ball around, just feed it to AJ Brown. <laughs> do like the Saints do with Michael Thomas, except without the slant. Yeah, or with Devonta and like th- that's this is this is a year where. You know, on the field, if they don't add Julio, we're going to see if AJ Brown can be a wide receiver one that you know can carry the load in your passing game and make everybody else look better. Like he's always had, you know, a Robin to his Batman, or he's been the Robin to somebody else's Batman, whatever. Whatever. But he's had somebody opposite him who could thrive when he didn't. Now, if they put Josh Reynolds and Fitzpatrick out there. We don't know. Like, they're not proven commodities at this point. So, you know, we'll see. But if A.J. Brown is the wide receiver that we've seen and that we believe him to be, more targets for A.J. Brown is never going to be a bad call. And that's kind of where I am. It's like it's time for him to be the big dog. Not 1A, 1B. Not this guy who's like the best receiver in a run-first offense. Make him the guy. Make him your, you know, if you don't get Julio, make him your Julio Jones. This guy who the offense runs through. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, Just to, like, qualify my statement about the receiver group, I'm not worried about Reynolds. I think he's a fine, decent wide receiver two, really good wide receiver three. Uh, Fitzpatrick, I just don't know what he's going to be. I really didn't know him in college, and from the little I've seen, I'm a little intrigued, but I don't know if he's going to be a contributor in year one. And then you go down the list. It's Cameron Batson, Chester Rogers, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, Racy McMath, players like that that just aren't ever going to do anything, at least not not anything substantial. So I keep coming back to that to that Ravens playoff game where we had Khalif Raymond and Cameron Batson trying to carry the load because we had injuries at receiver and the tight ends really weren't doing anything. And I just worry about a situation like that. But like you said, if Ferkser and Darrington Evans take more developmental steps and they kind of carry the load a little bit uh, and put some pressure off of A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry uh, and Josh Reynolds, then the offense will be in great shape. But I'm still a little cautious uh, about the wide receiver depth and talent. And I don't think any of us has said this, but it should be noted that pretty much, I, I think with the exception of 
and I guess it depends on what you think of Zach Ertz, but with the exception of the Philadelphia Eagles a few years ago, most teams that win the Super Bowl have multiple real threats at wide receiver. It's not just one guy and then a bunch of other guys. Like, it's not the AJ Yeah, it's not, you know, even Antonio Brown, when he was in his heyday, it's like they didn't win any Super Bowls. Like, it, it, it it's very much like you need to have two real threats, a good quarterback, some form of either a good offensive line or a good running back, and defense with playmakers. Like you need a lot to well, win a Super I mean, Bowl. The Titans also and have it, a it freak like of nature. At, the Titans also have a freak of nature at running back. We can't forget that. That's that's true. They don't have like Mark problem, Ingram at running back, or you know, even like Henry's ten times better than Le'Veon Bell. Like he 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 counts for something, I would think. Yeah, I mean he do, he does, but it's more about spacing, I think, than just skill position talent. Like I think you know you look at uh, Kelsey and uh, Tyreek Hill. It's like that's a lot of different places on the field you get to attack with those guys because one of them can attack vertically and the other one can attack horizontally. You know, as well as you know. Tyree Hill could also attack horizontally and Kelsey can do vertical a little bit too, but it's basically like you've got different guys who dominate different parts of the field. If you've got AJ Brown and Derrick Henry for as awesome as they are, that's you really don't have to cover 20 yards past the line of the scrimmage for deep routes. Like there's a reason why Khalif Raymond was so effective and that's because he was one of the only receivers who could take advantage of that on the team and, you know, we saw it with Corey Davis last year. Like, he hits, it, he got some nice deep passes thrown to him. And A.J. can do it, too. But it's really that other guy who can attack in a different way that really sets everybody apart. And if you have Julio and you have A.J. Brown who are, you know, B-plus deep threats but A-plus guys on slants with space, you can make it work. But that that's, that's where the concern comes in is, like, Maybe Josh Reynolds can be a deep threat based on his history, but you'd have to kind of make a projection. Like that, there's other things there, but yeah, like Derrick Henry obviously counts. I, I I shouldn't. I'm not trying to discredit him like that. It's time for stop the nonsense, guys. We've made it to the end. Season two of the No Nonsense Podcast is nearly in the books, but not without our favorite segment. And I'll get us started. Because this has been driving me crazy. Literally, I, w- I was sitting uh, at, at working on some stuff today, and, and, and I saw this on my timeline, and it was, it was driving me crazy. I, I wanted to, like, get mad at someone. Please stop retweeting and sharing and sending me. And by the way, Elbin English, if you're listening to this, this doesn't apply to you. That was uh, very clearly a joke, what you were doing last night, okay? This is not about you. It's about these people who think it's real, these rumor accounts. And, I, and I'm not talking about, like, the some of the more legit ones. I'm talking about, like, you know, at NFL Rums, Titans could get Julio Jones. Oh, stop. This is it, the same crap happened back when the Clowney saga was going on, where that dude in the Seahawks jersey kept getting reposted. Uh, there was that other guy who, who, and like I, I saw one today, it got retweeted onto my timeline, and and it's like the Titans are in on Julio Jones, and 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 the the the, the account was someone I'd never heard of, and the bio just read Falcons Insider. This guy did not have very many followers. It wasn't like no blue check or anything. Like, what? I, I get it, right? You're looking for someone to confirm that the Titans are interested. You're looking to have a little bit of fun. But, like, it's not true. Why are you sharing? Like, if you want to have fun, have fun with, like, the Florio report or the Josina Anderson thing. Don't find these fake things and then spread them around. Like, uh, this is how Pizzagate happened. Yeah, it's uh, same. <laughs> you're talking trash about that Seahawks guy, but he got it right, man. He thought. Oh right. yeah, he yeah. I'm, I'm sure he was in the. He was he was in on it the whole time. We just had to wait it out. I can't believe you'd slander 
inked up Shane like that. It's my boy. <laughs> was that his name? That I remember was, now. He it was, was inked up. up. I thought it was incarcerated. But I was <laughs> no, that's a different. Yeah. But that's I don't. It's just driving. It's up. driving me crazy. Like seeing the eyeballs tweet with at at Joe Smith, whose Twitter bio says Falcons insider, and he has three hundred followers. Telling me that the Titans are going to get Julio Jones. I don't care. It's not reliable in any way. I just do these. Do these Titans fans actually think like that? These are real reports that they have inside information. That's the thing. I don't think they do. They just like they just like chaos. I don't know. <laughs> now I will say this: what I did like was seeing the like uh, Isaiah Wilson like conspiracy theory rumors. It was like. He got into a high-speed chase on, on, you know, whatever. Oh, my gosh. So this tweet, we got to talk about this, this tweet that Will just sent to us. In our, so, <laughs> so if you don't know, we, we do the podcast, and sometimes we have a chat going in addition to the podcast so that we can say things that pop into our head that maybe we don't want to put out there on the podcast. Will, you just sent us this tweet. What is this? Is this real? That's definitely uh, Julio. Yeah, it's definitely Julio, and the guy's got a mask I don't know. I, it just for anybody, it's a, uh, it's a picture of Julio Jones and some dude. Uh, it looks like they're in an airport to me, but I can't really tell. Like it, it may be a mall or something. It's definitely Julio. Uh, it's a guy wearing a face mask, which makes it interesting because you're like, okay, well, that's a pretty clear like indicator that it's a recent picture. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I think it's fake. I, th- I mean, I think it's photoshopped and all that kind of stuff because he's got a Titans logo on his shirt, too. That but looks so funny. fake. That Titans I mean, logo. absolutely photoshopped. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, it, de- it definitely looks fake, which is what I'm saying. Like, that, but, like, I, I didn't even, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> there's, there's an original. <laughs> Why is he wearing Although, a hoodie? Why is he wearing a hoodie and a toboggan if this is now? It's really, really hot in Nashville. I I don't know. I also don't know uh, where Julio is. That the <laughs> real one allegedly has him with a, a Dallas shirt on. No, although this, even is, all, this there, is also Photoshop. Yeah, although to be fair, yeah, that feels like it could also be photoshopped. So I don't know, like. Basically, if you see an athlete with a white shirt on, you can, you can Photoshop anything on it. But it is funny because, first of all, the logic doesn't even hold up because why would he be wearing team gear? Like, just in an airport, like... A team that's he, not his. Like, if he has a yeah. Falcons cap on, sure, whatever. Yeah, like, to be wearing Titan stuff just out and about, <laughs> like, would be, would be a, so a, weird. <laughs> Uh, it's like one of those pictures where the more you look at it, the more you're like, this doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's pretty funny, but it, it goes back to your whole point, Luke, which is there's so many fake things rolling around and people just looking for retweets and stuff. And it's, it's super funny. Don't get over involved in it because it'll just hurt you more often than not. But it is funny. Like, and it's always fun to like, get that like little shot of, dopamine from your brain that's like oh, oh yeah is, this, is he really there like i mean it, it's just like gambling or like scratching off lottery tickets it's like you know the outcome is probably not going to be what you want but for a second you think there might just be a chance i think it's funny that julio's twitter account is on private and he has half a million followers yeah that's weird that happened recently right like had to yeah like i think that just recently it probably happened after the shannon sharp thing Maybe I, I uh, I'll see what I can find out. But one of y'all start your stop the nonsense, and I will look. Okay, uh, my, mine's quick. Uh, I always say that, but it's never actually quick. Anyway, it's the NFL Network Twitter account. They posted a tweet saying big expectations at MetLife, and they have two quotes about both New York teams. Uh, one of them is from Kim Jones, and the other one's from David Carr. So the Kim Jones one is this has to be the year for the New York Giants. First of all, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't, because they haven't even been close to being a great team since Eli Manning was there uh, over a half decade ago. So it doesn't have to be the year for the Giants because they don't have a good quarterback. Daniel Jones is not good. You could say maybe this has to be the year for Daniel Jones 
And the worst part, she might have said that, but they clearly picked this quote to maybe rile some people up. And then they put right next to it the David Carr quote about the New York Jets that says, this offense has taken the league by storm. What does that mean? How how could an offense take the league by storm when the offense has not been on the field yet with a new quarterback, uh, two new receivers, a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach? How could it possibly take the league by storm? It's I June. don't it's June. it's June. I don't get it. That that was that was something else. But and they didn't even get good engagement. It was like they very clearly made this to like go viral. It's been it's been awful. It has eighty four likes, so definitely not worth it. Mm, brutal. By the way, Julio made his Twitter uh, account private in twenty eighteen, so it's been a while. What twenty eighteen? What a wild. Uh, and so, somebody did say um, when they were talking about how the whole Shannon Sharp thing was staged, uh, they were like, how many times have you heard Julio Jones speak in a in a press conference that wasn't mandatory or anything in the last like 10 years? It's like you just you never hear him speak. So I don't know that I've ever heard sense. him speak. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was going to say, like, that's got to give like Mike Vrabel like big hard eyes. Like he's got <laughs> he's got to look like that emoji and just like he's staring at his picture. He's like, he's done how many press conferences? He said what now? It's like that's his him and Andre Johnson are like his dream receivers. Uh, OK, so talking about dreams and nightmares and all that kind of stuff, uh, this stupid the the stupid Green Bay Packers organization, like I don't whatever like i'm not bitter i'm not bitter because they stomped out the titans whatever but it does make me super angry that they came out with the report like today or yesterday that it was like packers gm good against uh quote unquote holding firm that he will not deal quarterback look it's not up to him like and we've had this discussion before but my stop the nonsense is the idea that Gudikinst shouldn't say that. Like Gudikinst's whole uh, strategy from this point should be to suck up to Aaron Rodgers as much as you possibly can, because it doesn't matter whether he retires, whether he demands a trade, whether he comes back unhappy in Week Ten. If he doesn't get in the door quickly, you're going to get fired over it, and it's going to be a black mark on your resume. Like, this is not an area where you can out-principle somebody or whatever. Green Bay is a very specific and uh, fanatical is obviously, you know, self-representative when you say fan. But a fanatical group of people who, it doesn't matter what you say, you're the new guy. This is a guy who brought them a championship ring and who was MVP last year. He can say, I'm not coming back until you're fired, and you would be fired. Like So this whole idea that he has any control over this situation and his lack of awareness is very uh, Bill O'Brien. It's very like, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm in control, and I'm going to make what I want to make, and it's going to work out my way. Like You've got to understand, this is not the time to take a stand. You've got to be way more flexible. So... At this point, I just don't. I just don't know a dumber way to come out than to come out and just say I'm not giving in his demands. I'm not going to trade him. Like, just say like we're. He, he should take a book out of what Lafleur is doing and just say we want we want him back. We love him. Like he's great. He's a pillar of this franchise. Like you know we we need to get him back. Don't say I'm not giving into his demand. Like it's just such bad optics. Just digging out his own grave. Love to see it. I mean, I wouldn't trade Aaron Rodgers. I'd just keep him and make him retire. No, you wouldn't. You say that because you don't have the option. You, if he you wants said to, that. If, if I said it out, Watson. If he wants to throw a hissy fit, let him retire at twenty. Well, Rodgers is thirty-seven, but with Watson, retire at twenty-six. Have fun. Okay, but now your five million dollar year job is taken away from you. So now you don't get five million dollars next year and if you want to get another five million dollar job you're gonna to have to start lower on the totem pole and work your work your way up because you're out the door too like 
it, it's not it's not as easy as I'm just going to stay. You know, at a certain point, you get accustomed to that lifestyle. If somebody paid me five million dollars and my only job was to keep Aaron Rodgers around, I wouldn't be making big principled stands. <laughs> John Watson is different because he's got his own stuff off the field, and it gives you a little bit more leeway to say, "Look, like you should be." begging us to come back because of all the stuff you're going through right now like that's a different thing but Aaron Rodgers just like I just want you to draft a wide receiver and he's like how about I draft another corner or another quarterback the year before it's like man you're just the worst oh my gosh I just saw this tweet I have to share before we close out Kevin Byard is apparently like doing a contest where a Titans fan can train with him and he did it before because there's a video of them at Lipscomb training. Like, will you gonna uh, enter? Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, hey, uh, t- tell him if we can switch it to just a bench press day, like just chest and upper body and not those hills and stuff. Then uh, I'm game. But I'm seeing I'm seeing no hurdles. Chance. I'm seeing ladders. Lots of agility now, work. Yeah, a ladder is a hurdle. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 cer- no. At a certain point of unathleticism. Well, the, these hurdles are like three feet Actual tall. hurdles, yeah. Yes. Not the little things you use at PE. All right. That's going to do it for us. The Titans trade for Julio Jones will be back soon. Otherwise, we'll see you at training camp, or perhaps a little before. But we're going to take a little while off. Uh, we appreciate all of you very, very much. Um, it's been a good year for our podcast. Uh, the COVID season was a little trudgy if that's a word to cover. But I think we're all excited about uh, full stadiums and normalcy and this wicked virus going away and and getting back to doing what we love, and that's uh, watching football and enjoying it, not just by ourselves but with everyone else. So until you hear uh, from us again, which you will, uh, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.